What's up, everybody? You won't want to miss today's show. It's today's show. I've got the real Maverick. That's right, a Top Gun graduate, a fighter pilot who at F-18 for 15 years. He's a passionate advocate for veterans and mental health, and he's going to talk about everything, that, and more. Stay tuned. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Good News Grow 2.0. On the Good News Grow 2.0, we're here to let you know the importance of plant-based medicine and psychedelics on mental and physical health. We're bringing you stories of how these medicines have changed lives and can save lives. We want to teach you the healing power of plant-based medicine. This is the Good News Grow 2.0. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Good Dudes Grow. I'm your host, Gary Roberts. I'm excited about today's special interview. We have an extraordinary guest with us today. He's an individual who has experienced the highs and lows of life, and now he's on a mission to heal and help others. Joining, join me in welcoming our guest, Matthew Wiz Buckley. Matthew, thank you for being on my show today. You bet, Gary. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I was following, uh, I follow a lot of the, the psychedelic and cannabis world because I'm kind of in, the, in that industry, sort of. I'm trying to get uh, access for first responders to get uh, different types of options they can have for PTSD, sleep, pain, and everything else. Ever since the loss of, of my daughter from an opiate overdose that led me down this path. So mm. I try to bring guests on who are in the, in the industry and find their point of view. And this is interesting for a lot of people who don't know, you're an ex-fighter pilot, an F- F-18 Hornet, correct? You bet. Give us a little introduction about how what it's like going through the u.s navy academy and the challenges you face and how that started your outlook on life yeah man uh i flew uh f-18 hornets uh for the for the navy for about 15 years i was based on the uh the west coast for most of my time in the navy uh did two deployments over to the persian gulf uh on board uh uss abraham lincoln and then the uss kitty hawk uh and then uh, also flew hornets uh, for five years in the reserves. And when I was in the reserves, actually, I got selected to go to Top Gun. Uh, so I went to Top Gun and uh, went through what's called the red course or the bad guy course, right? Uh, so I was, uh, I was a bad guy. So you, in order to be a bad guy, you had to be a really good, good guy. Uh, so I was a really good, good guy and then got selected to be a bad guy because we actually have to uh, have bad guys against our good guys, right? Because we have to train before we go overseas. Uh, and if we go anywhere in the world in combat and we're surprised or we're outgunned or we don't know what they're doing, we're doing, then we failed, right? I mean, so Top Gun, without a doubt, was the most intense uh, flying in my naval career. I mean, flying com- my, you know, I'll use air quotes, my combat sorties uh, over Iraq were more or less a complete joke. Uh, the most tactical, uh, and I'd say dangerous flying was, uh, was actually, uh, up at Top Gun. Uh, so yeah, had an absolute blast, uh, flying for the Navy, uh, during my spare time when I wasn't, you know, flying off the ship, I was actually what's called an LSO, a landing signal officer. So I'd stand on the back of the ship, uh, day or night and help my fellow aviators, uh, land aboard, the uh, aboard the ship. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great time. Uh, and then, uh, I had a very, very brief airline career. My my first and essentially last day of work at American Airlines was the morning of September 11th. So I was actually packing uh, for my first trip. I was supposed to go from uh, DFW to Miami and then Miami down to Cancun. 
when my wife came in and said, hey, you better come check out the DV, you know, plane hit the World Trade Center. I said, ah, whatever, small airplane in bad weather. And the look on her face kind of told me that wasn't the case. I went out there and, you know, looked at the TV and saw what everybody else saw, just a beautiful day in New York City and incredibly big smoking hole, flaming hole. I'm like, going through my mental aviation checklist of how that could have happened and the next plane hit. Uh, I immediately knew we are under attack, went to the bedroom. I, I, I pushed my American Airlines uniform out of the way, still wrapped in its plastic from the, from the tailors. And I threw on my flight suit, threw on my boots. And uh, I think I broke the land speed record in my old Porsche getting out to the air station, Naval Air Station, Fort Worth, just as they closed it and went to a combat uh, posture. So me and another F-18 buddy made it out to our squadron. We told our maintenance control guys to get those jets armed and ready for combat. And then four F-16 pilots uh, next door from the uh, Texas, uh, actually it was an air, uh, uh, I think it was Air Force Reserve, the 457th SPADs. So we ran over uh, to their command post and it was like uh, Lexington and, and Concord, right? There was two Navy guys, four Air Guard guys, or Air Force Reserve guys, we were briefing to get airborne and fly combat air patrol and take down a potential aircraft. As we were in the command post, actually, uh, the Pentagon got hit. Uh, it, was, it was incredible. It was surreal. Um, so about a week after the attacks, I got a photocopied letter uh, from American Airlines HR that said, you know, dear crew member, you're furloughed, uh, which is a polite airline word for laid off. So never looked back. I went to Wall Street instead. And uh, ended up going up to Chicago, running, helping run a multi-billion dollar options trading firm. Uh, and then back in 2020, you know, God takes care of uh, fools, drunks, and sailors. So my bases were loaded. Uh, did really well. I, I wrote a book called COVID Crash. Uh, I predicted the, the market crash due to COVID. Did really well. And uh, ended up uh, starting a nonprofit back then. It was called the Top Gun Fighter Foundation uh, to try and prevent veteran suicide. Um, you know, back then, uh, the old statistics were about 22 veterans killing themselves every day. Uh, and I had lost three F-18 brothers to suicide, including a groomsman in my wedding, Captain Eric Swenson, uh, call sign Swede, uh, took his own life. So I was like, you know what, man, uh, I'm going to take this money. I'm going to throw it over the fence and try and figure out how to, uh, uh, to prevent veterans suicide. And, uh, I had also lost in my naval career in 15 years of flying fighters. I lost 16, uh, 16 air crew, uh, not one combat loss. So a lot of trauma from all those losses and all the suicides. And that's when I started, uh, the Top Gun Fighter Foundation. Uh, and then around that time, since, like I said, I did pretty good trading in the COVID crash. I also bought a couple of my own personal fighter jets. So I bought a couple uh, L-39 Albatross fighter jets that, that I keep down here in South Florida. And, uh, you know, about a year into that foundation, just trying to figure out how to stop veterans from killing themselves, I heard about a, a group of uh, special forces guys that were going down to Mexico to do some do some drugs uh, is, you know, type of thing. And uh, that that kind of caught my attention. And then off I went. That's an, that's an incredible, incredible story. So if we were go back a little bit, how does you range from a fighter pilot, CEO to, to uh, a business owner, entrepreneur to how do you balance everything else? You know, trying to make sure that everything's balanced out. 
<laughs> it's a great <laughs> question. Uh, it's, I, I don't know how I do it. No, um, I think the, the, the main balance in everything, in, in, in any initiative that I do, whether it's flying fighter jets or the corner office of a Wall Street firm or, or running a nonprofit, is, is leading with my truth and my heart, right? If, if you lead with truth and, and your heart, you can't go wrong. If, that, if those things are always uh, in the front of mind, everything else falls into place, right? Right. And especially after uh, my psychedelic uh, experiences, it's given me an absolute sense of calm and peace. Uh, after my first, you know, we can dig in all this stuff, but after my first Ibogaine experience, that next day I was like, everything is okay. Everything is fine. I mean, before, you know, the day or two before I had legal stuff going on, suing this guy, business this, there was a thousand things going on. And then 24 hours later, none of that seemed important at all. It kind of reset everything. So maybe back in the day, you know, I was, I was busier in a, you know, one-legged man in an ass kicking contest. Uh, and then, you know, and, and I did pretty well at all that stuff, but in the old me, so to speak, the old me kind of just used all my fighter pilot training, right? Hey, what's the strategic objective? What are the operational objectives and what are the tactics to support it? You know, red team, before I went and executed a business plan, I'd have somebody rip it apart and pretend they're my enemy. I mean, contingency planning, what could go wrong today or in the, you know, in this business mission that I can talk about now instead of freaking out when it happens uh, or debriefing. Right. When I ran this uh, uh, a Chicago firm, you know, teaching as a fighter pilot, 45 minutes to the second after our wheels touch the runway, we're in a debriefing room, door shut, and we rip each other to shreds to get better. Right. It's about improving our future execution. I found out in the business world, you know, something really crappy happened and everybody looked at each other like, all right, well, let's go on to the next thing. And I'm like, whoa, stop. We're not going anywhere. Get in that room and we're going to figure out how that ain't happening again. And it was so funny. People looked at me like I was brilliant or, you know, this was uh, earth shattering. I'm like, how the hell have you people been operating without doing this stuff? So kind of pre-medicine was just kind of used all my fighter pilot training uh, to, in my life. And then post-medicine whiz still keeps all that stuff, but it, it has a whole new uh, view to it or, or tint, so to speak. That's what I was going to ask. Do you, do you think after your, your first, your first, uh, treatment or journey that it blended the old whiz with the new whiz together and kind of, you know, at, let's say curve the edges of the, uh, old whiz yeah. into the new whiz? Absolutely. It, I, I use the, uh, you know, uh, before medicine whiz, after medicine whiz, it's only been whiz, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, when I did the first time I sat with the medicine, I was 52. Uh, and I'd say that medicine experience took 52 years of ego, shame, regret, alcohol, drugs, uh, depression, anxiety, trauma, and completely disintegrated those things and left who I truly am. So, you know, I, I kind of say old whiz, new whiz type of thing. There, there was only me. Right. And the medicine definitely uh, removed all of those edges, removed all of those. Uh, they didn't necessarily remove 
kind of rounded they, them off. Experiences, exactly. They rounded them off or they allowed me to look at them with a with a new, with a clean set of eyeballs, right? A, a clean piece of paper. Right. That's what I'm trying to bring to the first responders because I usually associate first responders with the military where we both aspect and both compartmentalize things to actually be able to do our jobs. And that creates a, a longer term of mental issues mm. because that compartmentalization becomes no more empathy, people think, or, or it's not no more caring. And that's why, like you said, there's a lot of suicide. There's a lot of suicide in firefighting than there is on the duty desk now currently. There's a lot of high rate of divorce going on because yep. that compartmentalization creates an issue. And right. I believe having some sort of protocol or preventive medicine, like a journey sometime throughout your career, or several times throughout your career may help limit that after when you retire so that you can actually have a better life and not wait for the end of life term. Uh, dude, you nailed it right through the bullseye. I, I say that the military or the fire service or, you know, police officers, uh, the training, right? The military does an incredibly great job, good job of training you to do some pretty awful things to another human being. But when they're done with you, they do a pretty shitty job of transitioning you back into, uh, into a human being, right? And then, you know, same thing to fire service or, or police uh, as well. They, they do a great job on the front end of making you an efficient machine. And as you alluded to, especially in fighter aviation or the military, you're taught to compartmentalize, right? If I'm flying into a target in Syria, and my buddy gets shot down, I'll mourn him later. I got to go press on with the mission. Well, guess what happens? You don't get a chance to mourn that person later. Later, So that little compartment is a block somewhere in you. And all those little blocks build up, man. And if you don't clean them out, they're going to surface in bad ways. The divorce, the relationships, the toxic uh, alcohol or, or the drugs. So uh, as a society, we need to do a much better job with our first responders and our military saying, hey, thank you for your service. Now let's make sure you have a soft landing. Right, exactly. I couldn't agree more. A lot of people argue that Psychelex should not be endorsed by veterans or first responder organizations because of the safety and efficacy you know, of these alternative treatments. What kind of response have you, get, have you been getting when you started stepping forward saying, hey, listen, after my first journey, I need to start talking more about it, being more open to what's going on? How, what kind of reaction have you been getting? Well, it's, pre it's pretty incredible. So today is kind of a God moment for, for me being on your podcast because 18 years ago today uh, was Operation uh, Red Wings, uh, the largest loss of life uh, in the Navy special warfare community, right? Uh, if you've seen the movie uh, or read the book, Lone Survivor, or seen the movie, you know, about Marcus Luttrell. Uh, so today uh, is, is that anniversary. I bring that up because this was a God moment. When I had the opportunity to go down to Mexico to sit with this medicine, uh, Marcus Luttrell uh, was the guy I went with. Uh, and another one of the guys that I went with, his name is Jared Taylor, former Air Force uh, JTAC, who's one of the founders of Black Rifle Coffee. And then I also went with another veteran Navy SEAL and then a former NFL player who was suffering from just horrific CTE. Right. So I went down to, uh, to Mexico and did Ibogaine uh, N5-MeO-DMT with Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor. Uh, and this guy, I mean, I, I'm going to call him after his podcast, send him a text this morning just to check in with him today. He's a completely different human being. 
He's actually getting ready. If he's not already qualified, he's going to be a deacon in the Catholic church. Guy hasn't had a drink since. Um, me, uh, I was a drinker and I wasn't a good drink. Not that you could be a good drinker. I was a bad drinker. Right. Uh, couldn't even look at alcohol for a year after doing the medicine. It made me physically ill to look at it. I've never been a better uh, husband, father, or human being as a result of this medicine. So <clears throat> I bring that up because when you tell folks about that, so either Marcus Luttrell, Navy SEAL, Navy Cross recipient, or Wiz, Top Gun grad, or Jared Taylor, either we're all full of shit or we're telling the truth, right? So actually last week, or I think it was two weeks ago, uh, Morgan Luttrell, Marcus's brother, Navy SEAL, is, he, is a, now a congressman from Texas. He also did the medicine and is a completely different guy. Dan Crenshaw uh, also. So these guys are putting forward legislation uh, because the Democrats are already there, right? On this issue, Democrats have been there for a long time. It's the Republicans that were having to kind of drag. And who better to drag Republicans than veterans or first responders, right? Because allegedly they're supposed to be our biggest supporters, right? Right. So uh, very long answer, short question. The reaction I've gotten is 90% positive and the 10% that is negative is initially negative until I give them the brief, until I say, here's what happened to me, right? Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the elites kids, the rich, the politically collected, connected, they're not first responders and they're not in the military, right? All these politicians that get us in the wars, their kids ain't fighting them, right? So usually middle to lower class folks go in the military and usually middle to lower class folks have what? I had a crappy childhoods, right? So we were, I was a stereotypical Irish Catholic kid. I was one of six children, South Jersey, South Philadelphia, and my middle sister, Monica, uh, was killed by a drunk driver when she was 19 at a uh, freshman in college at Villanova University. And that was a hand grenade that destroyed my family uh, right in the middle. And uh, we were never the same. I lost my faith in God. I mean, I'm, I'm a, what was I, a freshman in high school? I was like, what type of God kills my sister and destroys my family? My dad, he was dead. He died when she died. I mean, he died years later of a, uh, I think of a broken heart, but he, and um, so I carried that type of trauma into the military, right? And then you get trauma on top of trauma. So when I tell people and I give them that brief and I say, hey, lying on a bed on the floor in a house in Mexico for 12 hours, I got to experience my sister and my father again. And they were perfect. And they had shown me that they never left, that they're on this podcast right now with me. They're with you. They're, they're in the trees. They're in my daughter. And it was decades of healing, being able to experience that. Every trauma, it was a, it was a 12 to 14. It was the most incredible cinematic movie experience I've ever experienced. It felt like God just kind of had me under his, under his arm, just standing there going, look at this. And just gave me a complete re rewiring, right? So actually, as a result of that medicine experience, I have never, even when I was a little Irish Catholic altar boy, I have never been more spiritual uh, and, and my faith in God, whatever word you want to use, truth, source, 
divine. Uh, I choose to use the word God. So to the 10% who, you know, kind of get their, their hair in the back of their neck up going drugs. Once I give them a brief, they usually change. You'll, you'll always have a small percentage that'll, you know, just drug, drug, drug. These aren't drugs. Right. These are medicines, right? A drug is a, from a dude or a lady in a lab coat, you know, worried about profit. These, the, 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 the ibogaine, the iboga I did is from Gabon. It's from camera. It's from Central Africa. Matter of fact, if you do a little research, they believe iboga, the root, is the tree of knowledge, right? So these are plant medicines, and they've been used for thousands and thousands uh, of years. So, you know, us waking up now going, hey, look at these things. It's like you talk to the indigenous people who have used them for centuries going, yeah, where you been, right? Exactly. And as you know, the whole war on drugs bullshit was a complete lie. And Richard Nixon wanted to go after African-Americans and, you know, did the whole weed thing with them. And then the psychedelics, uh, you know, anti-Vietnam. After you do an experience like this, you don't want to kill people, right? So, of course, Nixon and, you know, Vietnam, they're going to, you know, you take these psychedelics. It's like, holy shit, we're all one. Wait, why do I want to hop on a plane, fly to another country in Vietnam and kill somebody I don't even know? Oh, well, that's subversive. No, it's actually... You know, oh, dude, old, again, I'll say old whiz. Five years ago, whiz, by now, I would have swam across the Atlantic to kill as many Russians as physically possible. Today, stop. Stop right. killing each other in Ukraine and Russia. I don't give a fuck who's right or wrong right now. Exactly. Take a week off. Get in a room and try and figure it out. And, of course, when you say something like that today, the liberals or the media, I'm a Putin, I'm a Russian agent, or I'm a, you're anti-American. I'm anti-American for not wanting to, to kill and fund turning people into hair, teeth, and eyeballs on the other side of the planet. So the narrative around these, you know, the, the, the small 10% or the 1% who really get their, their craw, when I give them the history of this stuff, you know, if you read How to Change Your Mind or you watch the documentary, you really see that there was so much great research going on into this and then boom, war on drugs, this is bad, subversive. It, 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 it makes me furious, furious, right? The definition of a Schedule One drug is a high risk of addiction and no therapeutic use. That's the actual definition of a cigarette. Exactly. A cigarette will kill you, and it's insanely addictive. Alcohol, too. But those are legal, and these things aren't. The plant medicines, folks, are anti-addictive. God's a, you know, God's a pretty smart pharmacologist. You can't keep hitting plant medicine because it doesn't work. Right. It's not like cocaine or something. It's, it, it's anti-addictive. And it's without a doubt the most therapeutic thing I've ever done uh, in my life. So these are Schedule One drugs, but alcohol and cigarettes are legal? Come on. So it's your standard government, typical government. We're going to label something the exact opposite of what it is, right? The Inflation Reduction Act causes inflation. Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is freaking expensive. So it's a joke, dude, but it's not a joke. But, you know, my, the mission at No Fallen Heroes and everything we're doing, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to succeed or I'm going to die trying because failure is not an option. Even if one life. And here, here's a quick <clears throat> little tangent. In November of last year, 
I was on a road trip. I was taking our fighter jet out to uh, from Florida all the way out to San Diego for the Miramar Air Show. It was awesome. I, I had my son in the back seat. We got to see the country. But we landed in El Paso, and that morning, the university, two small community colleges, right? Duke University and the University of Alabama. They came out and said the number, because the government number is what? Uh, 17 veterans per day, or maybe most 22. And I'm like, that sounds a little low. Duke and the University of Alabama went and actually put in the work, right? Because Uncle Sam was only counting violent suicides from veterans. How do most veterans take their own life when they actually dug into the numbers and talk to humans? Oh, no, he drank himself to death. Or no, he, he, that was drugs. It was, so they came out and said the number is 44 veterans a day. We're going to run out of veterans. So if, if you know, I, I hate seeing on the TV like, oh, breaking news, a mass shooting. What's the knee-jerk reaction? from some in this country to a mass shooting. We need to ban guns because if it saves one life, isn't it worth it? And I'm like, how about we delete the word gun and put in the word psychedelic? If psychedelics can save one life, wouldn't it be worth it? So, you know, we're attacking in parallel. I have brother and sister in nonprofits that dress nice and take congressmen to dinner and shit like that. I'm a we the people. They're not going to change unless it's a groundswell. This is a pitchfork. It's a, it's a pitchfork and torch moment. They're, they're not going anywhere. The alcohol lobby, the tobacco lobby, they got big, big checkbooks. And those leaders aren't doing anything until we the people get really pissed off. And exactly. it pisses me off because I still have to go to Costa Rica or to Mexico. And I'm, so I'm taking people who endured trauma serving this nation to a foreign nation to heal. That just, we're, we're inverted. Thankfully, though, you know, when I was out in the uh, psychedelic conference uh, last week in Denver, we bumped into some guys, great Americans who have a, a ranch in Colorado, former uh, NHL player. So since it's legal in Colorado, I think we might, uh, it's time to, to heal our heroes at home. Um, right. I love Costa Rica, love Mexico. You can keep it. I want to heal heal our heroes at home. Exactly. And that's why I'm actually building the facility at Costa Rica. And what I'm doing is that I'm not, I'm not building a, a retreat type. It's kind of a retreat style, style facility, but it's a data collection facility. Because my, my, my answer was, if I can bring one person to save that one person, but use that data to save five other people somewhere in the United States by bringing real-time data, real-world data, showing that it works instead of anecdotal, Mm -hmm. You know, we all know anecdotal works, but if we can actually Correct. create more and more data, like you said, that groundswell exactly. and bring it back to the United States, because like, you know, Costa Rica has the same, you know, rigorous uh, um, clinical trials as the United States. That's why we went there, as well as the Medicare system, medical system. I said, yep. that's that that's what we need. We need we need to Correct. create something that we can gather information, bring it to the United States and then places like Colorado as they slowly legalize it. We yeah. can show the safety, efficacy, and even protocols on how it can be used. I love it. Agreed. I'm with you. So that's that's what we said. And the same thing that you're saying with the uh, with the DESA of uh, suicide for for, uh, for veterans. There is no calculation of suicide for firefighters. Nobody tells anybody anything because that's really? the last. Nope. They're just wow. really because they don't collect that data. It's really hard because they don't want to let anybody know. Correct. 
Correct. You know, they, yeah, the, 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 the VA didn't hold a press conference the day Duke and Alabama released that study. Like breaking news, it is 44. They keep it. it yeah, it, it is not in anybody's benefit uh, to, to bring that uh, to the public, except for you and I to try and save people. It isn't everybody's benefit to know this, but the government obviously ain't going to ain't going to want us to know it's this bad, which it, it breaks my heart. Right. And that's why when I get on, I get on other podcasts, I tell everybody, it says everybody looks at firefighters like, you only work one day a week and you get two days off and then you get all these time off. And I'm like, well, you're, what you're missing about what we're doing is imagine your worst day. Correct. Uh, uh, your grandmother dying, your, your young four-year-old dying in a pool, uh, your dog's hit by a car, you have a family member who's in a car accident. That's yeah. one day in a firefighter. Exactly. Maybe turned 18 or 20, signed on a dotted line saying, I will see this for the next... 20 years, yeah, guaranteed. Yep. That's awful. I was uh, in high school after after my sister got killed by a drunk driver. I, I had this nagging feeling. Uh, I, I wanted, to, did somebody care? Like, did, did somebody show up and and cared? Right. So I was a sophomore in high school, man, and I and I joined my local uh, rescue squad in uh, New Jersey, and I was actually working on getting my EMT. Uh, uh, training in high school. I was either going to be a doctor or blow people up as a fighter pilot. But <clears throat> to your point, I was a kid in high school on a, on a volunteer rescue squad in New Jersey. The things I saw, I'm like, uh, uh, I'm good, man. The, the drunk drive, the, the children. Uh, yeah, you're right. So in a 24-hour period, folks, fire service uh, men and women can see more trauma than you see in a lifetime. So I agree, man. That that's that's obscene. We need to we need to take care of all of our first responders. And that's how I went down this whole whole plant based medicine thing. I was in a zone. We were in Florida. I was in you know mm -hmm. in the area of the zone where there was a, where there was a lot of drug use. So every day I was dealing with maybe two or three overdoses a day. You know, bringing these people oh, back. God. They were dead. And, and you never think it's going to happen to you. And next thing you know, I got this phone call saying, "Daughter's on life support." She took mm -hmm. something, you know, she had a bad back, she had a bad back, an accident with a bad back. She went at the opiates and then led down a bad path and she knew it, yeah. you know, and she just, she tried to get off herself, went to these rehabs down here in Florida and what ends up happening the rehabs in Florida before the patient brokering uh, laws went in is that they just went, went in and came out with more medication than they, they went in with. Oh my God. It, it's uh, like, so it was, so she was basically the one that says, let's try and, you know, Florida's going to medical cannabis. Back then it was 2018. It says, let's try and see if we can do the plant-based thing and help addicts get on that way. And, and she's the one that started us down this road. And then when she passed, I said, okay, we need to figure this out. Because this is ridiculous. I, I never thought it would happen to me. I deal with it every day. And then I got to deal with my daughter. And then three months later, my dad passes away from an overdose as well from opiates because he was back in Canada. He was printing up. We found out he was printing his own prescriptions. No. So it's like, okay, so I went full force into, into the whole plant-based medicine trying to figure it out. But that mm -hmm. veterans and first responders trying to get acclimated back in society, it's tough. It, it's really tough to go from uh, you spend 20 years or you spend, you know, fighting with people side by side, trusting people, and then all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. And you're put back in a normal society. It's not that easy to go from that to yeah. this, correct? The, the, the transition, yeah, you know, from... Uh, from the speed of life or speed of sound to the speed of life, man. And, you know, and, and my transition was brutal uh, on the human element of trust, right? In a fighter squad or just like in a fire station or, or you know, police headquarters or whatever it is, 
you trust those people implicitly with your life or they're not there, right? They're gone by noon, right? If you don't trust somebody, they, it's a self-cleaning of it. Man, I went from a fighter squadron with that attitude to a Wall Street firm where people wear uh, golf shoes to step on top of each other climbing. I mean, they, they, these guys would, would push their own mother in front of a bus for a dollar. And I had this like moral injury of this is disgusting. That's why, I mean, I, I left Chicago. You can keep it. I'm, I'm a beach guy. I'm a Navy guy. I need sun and sand. Uh, but I'm like, I can do this on my own and have morals. Uh, but you're right. Going from, from that type of camaraderie and team and I trust with my life to people, you know, you got to keep an eye on your wallet or somebody's going to steal it type of bullshit. It's, it's a tough transition. Uh, and out of the military, I'm sure it's gotten better since I left. But, you know, even now I, I hear from veterans like it's a joke. It's like a one week separation course or what, you know, they, they just get checked in the blocks, right? Like here's how to write a resume and here's the type of suit to wear in an interview. Bullshit like that instead of like, how's your heart and your mind and your body, right? Right. And, uh, and it's, you know, since I, I told you about my brief airline career, September 11th, let me share with you. Another one of the reasons I started the Top Gun Fighter Foundation initially, but I changed the name to No Fallen Heroes. Top Gun Fighter sounded, you know, too aviation-ish. But let me let let me let some of your listeners in on a little secret. When I left the Navy to initially I was going to go fly for FedEx. When you leave that, it was this is so interesting, bro. The half the room, let's say there's 20 of us in, in the room. We were all pilots going to the airlines. Half the room was like, hey man. You know, write down that you're a, you're a quadriplegic, you know, your back's mad at you, write down everything and you can get disability and, you know, your kids go to college for free. And I'm sitting here going, well, that's true. I, all that shit's, you know, messed up in me, but I'm, I'm going to fly for FedEx. I, mean, I, I got an FAA physical. I mean, and I remember some of the guys going, oh, those two systems don't talk, man. You know, I'm like, all right, here I am, what, 30 years, 20 years later, they're talking. So a lot, of, because when you, we leave the military, my back, my eye, my hearing, what did I put on the FAA form? Have you ever suffered from, you know, these 90 things? And I'm like, nope. no. <laughs> well, guess what, man? There is a high probability next time you are on an airliner that the captain or the first officer is a vet. It's a high probability that that captain and first officer have a lot of trauma, PTSD, depression, or something. And they have to lie to the FAA to stay flying, which makes them feel even worse because they're good men and women. They don't want to be dishonest. But if they're honest, there goes their career and they're homeless. So I will tell you, I think probably 10, at least 10 in the, this year, we have sent FedEx, American. I mean, I have, a, I have an American buddy, F-16 guy. He's a captain in American. He's like, whiz, I've been in therapy for 15 years and I pay cash because I don't want Uncle Sam to, to find out. Went to Costa, Awaken Your Soul down in Costa Rica, completely different human being. He's like, oh, I can't believe I've done this. So I will tell you there's hope because a lot of the airline guys and girls, I'm getting my DMs, my emails like, hey, dude, you know, under the radar. But, you know, if, if you're listening to this right now in the flying public, what would you rather have? Would you rather these guys and gals take a week off and get their mind, body, and soul right or to keep lying? 
uh, about their condition. So I'm kind of, I lean a little bit more towards the aviation side of the house because that's a big deal, right? You know, you don't want the, the folks in the front of that airliner, you want them perfect. And I guarantee you, if they're ex-military, they're most likely not. Now, you know, some folks can go through their military career and everything's hunky-dory, but it's, it's rarely not, right? Especially the fighter guys and gals. I mean, pull in, you know, if, if you watch a YouTube video of guys or gals pulling Gs, I mean, one of my flight surgeons is like, dude, you don't want to know what your brain probably looks like after years. And, and then me as a naval aviator, every landing aboard the ship is a car crash. It's like sitting in your car in the driveway and being dropped from two stories. That's the force. And then every catapult shot, you go from zero to 150 miles an hour in a second and a half. So your brain's all over the place. So, you know, flying public, I'm trying my best, but just know that, uh, you know, a lot of the airline crews are under the radar doing this, which is great, right? The fact that I have Top Gun buddies or uh, captains calling me like, dude, you know, how do I do this and everything like that's awesome. Even just changing one one person's life, their home life, their and a lot of pilots, you know, obviously in, in the military, there was a big culture of what drinking. You saw the movie mm-hmm. Maverick or you saw the movie Top Gun. Where uh, there's a lot of drinking in that culture. These psychedelics, at least the ibogaine, the iboga was an addiction interrupter, and that's why the opiates and if you do some research on ibogaine, it's like a 75 or 80% success rate at least three years after treatment. They don't even look at heroin again or the opiates. And I'm a, not only the alcohol, I, I'm a coffee fiend. I couldn't even, I was drinking decaf for six months. I, the, the, I, I had no need uh, for coffee. So this stuff, folks, is, it's literally, it changed. It saved my life and, and uh, hopefully... Not hopefully, man. It's already coming, right? It's right here. It's not. It's so funny though, especially the iboga or the ibogaine or ayahuasca. I, I love the indigenous people. When we went to Costa Rica, you know, two of the guys that served us the medicine were initiated into a tribe in Gabon, and it's funny because they're like, "Hey, welcome to the party." You know, where where have you all been? We've, we've been doing this for thousands of years. Welcome. And I get it. You know, the data you're collecting, and I get the lab coats and the FDA and you know, the FDA ain't going to, they're not, they're not going to be okay with, let me get this straight. A guy walks around a fire, looks at you, feels spear and dumps that amount of iboga in your mouth. Yeah. Okay. That's not going to happen. So I get that. I get that we need the data and the studies, but in the interim, know that these medicines have been used for thousands of years. They are safe. There are risks with everything, right? The iboga and the ibogaine lowers your heart rate a little bit more. So if you got heart issues, you know, maybe looking into one of the other medicines, but all these different medicines have, have different modalities, right? Um, and, you know, one's right for you. But, uh, you know, I tell people often when we're talk- having a medicine conversation, folks, uh, you can heal uh, meditation, holotropic breath work, walking on the beach, climbing a mountain in Nepal. There are so many, however you find healing, it's available. If this resonates with you, you know, I say, you know, flying fighters or Navy SEALs, pretty radical guys and gals, this is radical uh, healing. So it's, you know, the plant medicine is in for everyone. And this was, we'll we'll use the before whiz again really quick. If I had heard me say this statement five years ago, I'd kick my own ass, but I believe it now. 
the medicine calls to you, right? It's a, and if you don't know, if, if that doesn't resonate with you, it's not. So if you do a little research and you, you start to feel this gentle, like, huh, that's a calling. And I'll also say another ridiculous statement that I know is fact now. When you agree to do the medicine, things change. It's creepy because I started, I thought guys who wrote journals were weird. I started writing in a journal when I decided to do the play. Things change. When you put that out to the universe, like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm doing my research. I'm going to do this medicine. I'm going to go to Costa Rica. I'm going to hang out with Gary, whatever it is. I guarantee you things start changing. I don't know if it just kind of knocks down your perspective or makes you see things that whatever it is, I promise you, if you agree to sit with the medicine, well, watch what happens. The universe starts, the, the, the universe, and there's no such thing as coincidences, right? I call them God winks. God's going to start winking at you if you agree to do the medicine. That's, that's, that I could agree with you more. And on that note, I think that's a great way to stop off, stop the, uh, the podcast. Uh, Wiz, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. It was an honor meeting you and an well, honor yeah. having you on my show. Hey, so like I said, we got a couple fighter jets down here in South Florida. So brother, if you're ever down here in South Florida, I'm going to throw you in the backseat of the L39 and we'll, we'll go up and pull some G's and we'll, we'll do about 500 miles an hour, pull about six, seven G's. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan. Let me know. I work for Fort Lauderdale so we can go to the executive airport and bring it in. Yeah, well, so my only recommendation is to eat a banana for breakfast because it's going to taste the same coming up as it did going down. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I, I appreciate it. We'll definitely keep in touch. We'll see. We'll, hopefully we'll meet soon in person. And, yeah. you know, again, thank you for your my show. You bet, brother. Fight's on. You have a good day, man. Thank you for tuning in. If you're still listening to this, that means you gained something out of this episode. So make sure you share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode of The Good Dudes Grow 2.0.